With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. Matthew Penny is in the building. You know what it is. You saw the title. You clicked the episode. It's mock draft season, baby. Oh, I didn't know he had a title too. Is this live? This is live TV. I, I should have prepared myself a little bit better outside of my my Patriots hoodie, which I'm wearing because it's a draft day today. It's kind of our draft day with a mock draft. It's an NFL draft, so I'm I'm preparing. I'm trying to get in the mood here. I'm trying to get in the season. Well, the good news is that no matter what we do today, nothing is going to be crazier than what Eddie Johnson said earlier today. Uh, just genuinely, like not a single thing is going to be more insane. <laughs> than what uh, Eddie Johnson said. Uh, Earlier today, our guy, the dear sweet uh, announcer for the Phoenix Suns, came up with a six-pronged test for who should be able to vote on NBA awards. And our guy. (laughs) I I made the first prong. I was like, all right, not a bad list. And then uh, why why don't you go on? Why don't you proceed here? A lot of prongs were – it it narrowed down the field. I'll I'll put it that way. I want to see if Matt Penny passes the test. I don't think so. Let's go. So, number one, you have to play college basketball. Or, no, you had to play basketball at the collegiate level. Penny, We are one, technically. You're there. Yes. Number two. Two starts. You actually attend and watch 60 games live and not from some man cave on the couch. Mm. See, I yearn for a man cave. We were talking real estate before we started here. I'm I'm trying to find my man cave in Massachusetts. We're very, very expensive. But I haven't. I haven't seen 60 games live. I probably saw maybe half of that in college, maybe probably a, a third. So that's an X for me. That is a very large number that <laughs> actually stops you from doing the due diligence that it takes to vote on a Oh, How many beat you have writers to travel, go to that many games? Like, yeah. The like, nights where you go to games, you're missing everything else. Yes. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you're missing every other game that night. So you're inherently losing – 13 other games or like the chance to catch parts and watch 13 other games. So hot take bad prong Uh, test. Number three, you take a class on the sociological aspect of sport. Penny, did you do that at UMass? Oh, that's a good one. I took psychology of sport. Is that close? There we go. All right. All right. We got two. Thanks. Psychology of sport. Then I took a a couple sociology classes, abnormal psych, which was a, a big athlete one. So I think I passed another prong here. Didn't see that coming. Okay. Here we go. You have to walk on a court in front of 18,000 booing fans and a TV camera pointed at you and make six out of 10 free throws. I Penny? don't know what scenario that is. Is that like some game show that, that we don't know? Like who's who's done that? Has anyone stepped to the free throw line and be like, all right, here you go. I had 20,000 people boo me at the Carrier Dome. Uh, get out of here <laughs> twice. But they didn't say now shoot six of 10 free throws. So I, I guess that's an X for me as well. Oh my God. Just like, I need to see the game show that they should make this like a TV show where the ultimate award is voting on awards. 
like the people who make six out of ten, they literally just filter in eighteen thousand people uh, and, and say like. And, and when you win, they just hand you a ballot. Like here you go. Yes. Here's your, here's your one paper ballot. Do you remember? This is way back. Do you remember the All Star game when they first did the million dollar three point shot? I like remember the the guy's no. name was like Mike Hoban or something. But he comes out. It was All Star weekend. It was like in between dunk and three point contest. He's like measuring up the hoop with the ball and like all the shooting stuff. And he airballs it. So that that's what like brought me back to to this. Can you hit six out of ten free throws? Yeah, get this. We'll make this a televised event. Just eighteen thousand people. Tell them to boo these sports writers and just have them come in. Right? Like it'll be good. Totally good. Uh, five. Take a class on the history of the sport and pass a test. Penny, have you ever done this? Uh, no, I don't. I don't. There wasn't a history of basketball course available at UMass. I took some interesting ones. I took entomology. I think I took marine biology, astronomy, not history of basketball. Like what? Uh, my man Eddie here is asking, is acting like you know people who write about basketball aren't familiar with basketball. Like there are all these like thirty and under writers voting on awards. Like what are we doing here? I don't get it. I also don't. Given how much the game has changed, I don't know how valuable like a history of basketball lesson is. Given that like part of our problem with just televised basketball coverage is all of these older players hating on the way the game is played now. Like, yeah, but, but, but the, <laughs> the podcasting world has struck back and leave it up to JJ Reddick, one of the best shooters of all time to be that hero for us. But when, when they asked on one of the programs and said, you know, how would Bob Cousy be today? How would Kyrie Irving be back then? He said, Kyrie Irving, if you plopped him back into Bob Cousy's day, they'd think he was a wizard the way he like drove yeah. the basketball. So don't, don't compare those <laughs> two. That, these, these are very different games. And no disrespect right. to Bob Cousy. We're, we're a Boston-based program here, but let, let's just keep it real. <laughs> Number six in our final prong. Finally, you didn't take math above algebra. Penny, uh, when did you take algebra ooh, in school? I think freshman year. I think freshman year is algebra. And yeah. algebra two, geometry, trig, pre-calc. Yeah, I don't know what what that means. Is that is yeah, this just it, is this just like poo-pooing analytics? I I can't tell. Uh, cap, or if he, I don't, I don't or know. if he's just like confused with the school system now, <laughs> uh, like and the way that curriculum operates. Uh, do you think yeah, he po- no, do you very, think he posted that and said like this is going to do some numbers here? Like this I nailed will do it. well. Yeah, <laughs> I think he thought I nailed it. Man, like I, I drilled this. Uh, five um, prongs were good. Could I add a sixth prong that could really push us over the top? Can I fit an right. algebra joke in here that nobody understands? Yes. Yeah. Can 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 I uh, just advocate against the United States educational system <laughs> and its curriculum? Oh man. <laughs> oh man, Penny, you got to three out of six. Unfortunately, oh, uh, you what's my prize pass? How, how many, Do not how, get to how vote. many prongs? Did you have to have all the prongs to vote? I don't think we'd have any voters. This would have to be yeah, like a, four. a simulation. Yeah, you only have, oh, to have four. four six. Uh, close. <laughs> I need those free the, throws. I need those free throws. Get twenty thousand of our closest system. friends, and we'll just shoot free throws next game. <laughs> given the scholastic system in the United States, realistically, you probably had to have like four out of five. Mm. Because uh, there's not a school in the country that is not teaching algebra at some point in the uh, high school system. And I, I don't know about you, but like I would prefer most voters to at least have a high school degree. Uh, yeah, I would t- I, I'm not, you know, college, whatever, like go do your thing. You know, I don't I don't want to be elitist. Not everyone can afford college. Right. But it's like literally a requirement to go to high school in the United States until you're 18. So like, you know, I prefer that we see most of them have degrees. 
among yeah. voters. That's that's a list that doesn't make sense that you see in your Instagram Explore page. Like that's stupid. Just gotta go buy it. But hey, we're uh, NBA playoffs and NBA voting makes people go a little wacky. Makes people go nuts. Shout out Eddie Johnson. This was fun. Uh, okay, we're going mock draft. Yeah, let's go one through thirty. We're not going to do teams until the next time. Yes, because we will actually have an order at that point, and it will be much more interesting to do teams. That means the next mock draft that we do will be in, what, like three weeks, essentially, once the lottery happens, two and a half weeks. So we'll be doing another one of these relatively short order. But because the NBA draft's early entry list is officially out, and we have, I believe, 283 names on it, 247 players from colleges, 36 international players, it's also worth noting that there are a few additional players that – uh get into this mix here because they don't really fall into either of the early entry buckets. Um, You know, someone like Leonard Miller is another example of this. Someone like a, uh, I'm I'm trying to think, actually the G League Ignite kids were not on this list because they're Mm -hmm. automatically eligible. So not everyone, but a really good, uh, we actually know what the draft pool looks like now, essentially. So Penny, any broad takes before we get going here? Yeah, we know what it looks like, but we, we still have a bunch of guys doing the old testing the waters. I feel like everyone was either transferring or, or testing the waters this year. So the, there is some uncertainty. A lot of those guys are, are late first, early second for me. So I don't know how many will cover there. And and still kind of like some dominoes. With, if those guys pull back up, the the early to mid second round guys could, could take a jump. I think that would benefit more of the older players. And I am also, as much as I'm looking forward to this one, also looking forward to the next one where team needs and you can take more risk and you'd say like, well, they wouldn't go young. They went young last draft. Well, they get three picks. They might take a risk there, but that's just you yep. and I. We're, we're big boarding back and forth here. Okay. So to determine who gets the number one overall pick, I'm going to flip the Chihuahua uh, coaster. So this is heads. <clears throat> okay. This is Tails. I'm usually a Tails guy, but I got to go Chihuahua. Okay, you're going heads. You're going Chihuahua. I make my own luck. Tails it is. Oh, okay. So I'm going number one. Deferring. Patriots will kick. Okay. With the number one overall pick, I'm taking Jabari Smith. Oh, okay. Which might be a bit of a surprise. All right. So the reason for that is, With the way that the NBA playoffs have gone this year, I think that it is showcased that there is an even more dramatic emphasis now in the NBA on switchable wings who can create their own shot and knock down jumpers. Uh, I think that Jabari Smith has the fewest holes in regard to his game translating at the highest level in playoff basketball. With Chet, I worry a touch about the intersection of strength and lateral agility, allowing him to defend at a playoff level in the NBA. Uh, With Paulo, I worry a little bit about the foot speed. With Jaden, I worry just about his defensive instincts in general. Uh, Jabari averaged 17 points a game this year as an 18-year-old. He's the youngest of these guys, and he already has... Outside of the passing ability, which is critical and is a genuine hole in his game, the most complete, in my opinion, game that translates toward the NBA playoffs. That is my case for Jabari Smith at number one. 
do you have any uh, any strong opinions? Uh, a little surprised I was because his status at the top has been this weird nonlinear trajectory. It feels like some people are cooling on him a little bit, but as a shot maker at six foot ten, I, I love the shots. A beautiful stroke, limited movement, plays really hard, defends multiple spots. And he also found ways to be effective when he didn't have the ball at Auburn. He found ways to score yep. when he was limited off the bounce. He did everything that was asked for him and then some. Uh, I, similar to you, I like the idea of him in the high post, stepping out, running some dribble handoffs, running some pick and pops, can flash that pull up, one, two dribbles off the move. And he's a year younger than Chet, too. Uh, Intel's that he's a worker. And I yeah. don't think being a, a top pick, one, two, three, is going to kind of lessen that either. I will ask this question as well. Not who we would take, because I just said who I would take. Mm-hmm. Who do you think is the player that is most likely, as of right now, before the lottery and everything? And I think this draft is so dependent on who gets the number one overall pick in terms of who goes number one. Uh, it's polarizing across front offices. Mm-hmm. Who do you think right now is the most likely person to go number one? Uh, that would be my number two pick. And uh, okay. it's a good segue into Chet Holmgren. So for, for Chet, I, I have my flag planted here. It's going to stay here. For a guy at seven foot one who's long and active, seven foot seven wings, man. I don't know if you, you saw the picture that's kind of making the rounds this week of him next to Taco Fall. He looked like equally as, as large, which is kind of like scary and shows you really how massive a human being that he is. W- yep. With that sort of outside inside game, not inside outside game that he has w- with the rim production, like, yes, he needs reps. Yes, he needs time. You saw the flaws in the tournament versus more physical guys. He's going to improve. He's going to adapt. It, it's really all he's done since showing up to AU tryouts in seventh yeah. grade wearing cargo shorts. It, it's still new to him. So I, I'm in on him as a player, as a development guy. And of all the guys on the board, and this is kind of tying your point together, he's the one that if all the pieces align, he's the best player in the draft. There's a lot of ifs that need to get there. But I, I'm willing to bet on those ifs panning out over time. It's still a swing. It, it's not a sure thing. It's been the the last couple of drafts where, yeah, I, I know Cade Cunningham came, came third in rookie of the year voting. Like I, I felt good about him. Uh, I we had yeah. I had Lamelo one. You had Lamelo one. Anthony Edwards two. The draft before felt okay about those guys. I don't feel as like positive that that Chet's going to hit right now. But I, I do have some inkling that in two years we'll say, yeah, he was the number one pick in the draft. From a skill set perspective, I think that Chet has the most complete game out of any of these guys. Purely from like a skill perspective. I think he really passes well. He shoots it well, obviously. He finishes at the basket at a high level. Um, he can handle the ball out on the break at a high level for a center. His movement is okay on the perimeter. I would say he's not like a switch guy, but I don't think that he's dead if he's out on no. the perimeter on an island, <laughs> right? you know, mm-hmm. like he's not, as Shaq would say, barbecue chicken in that scenario. He is going to get beat like any center does, yeah. but it's not going to be a disaster. I don't think, I don't think teams will consciously hunt it every single time down the court. I just worry about the strength and the length because if it, if he doesn't add 30 pounds and doesn't retain the athleticism laterally that he has, there are some very real flaws that pop up. Like with Jabari, for me, there aren't a ton of flaws that pop up as you develop him. 
It's just whether or not he can make like high level passing reads and continue to develop as a ball handler. I think guys tend to get better at those things. With Chet, the, the questions feel a little bit more real, even if I do think I agree with you that if all of Jabari Smith comes together and all of Chet Holmgren comes together, Chet is probably a more valuable, impactful player. And here, here's my my last kind of follow-up to you with this, and I, I've thought about this a lot too. If all those pieces come together for both those guys, are they ever a number one on a playoff team number one offensive option yeah i don't think either of them are i don't either yeah so that's why it's sort of like i don't want to say complimentary piece but i'm giving them like a little bit of the benefit of the doubt too that like they don't have to be this supersized creator because that's not what like i anticipate their role to be at the next level either yeah okay at number three i'm going to take the guy that i guess i think has the highest chance to do that I don't think that it's likely that this person becomes like a number one option on a playoff team uh, on like a real contending playoff team that is. But I guess that I think that he is the best opportunity to do so. It's Paulo Bancaro. Okay. Uh, His polish with ball in hand is unbelievable. His uh, intersection of skill at six foot 10, 245 pounds is ridiculous. And he's a genuine mismatch nightmare. I think next year, even at the NBA level, the way he thinks the game and processes the game is exceptionally high level. He's going to be able to make high level passing reads as he showcased throughout the course of the back half of his year at Duke. He's going to be able to, I think personally, knock down shots at some point. The question is, will he be a, 35% three-point shooter, 34 to 36% three-point shooter, let's say, or a 39 to 41% three-point shooter. I think it's more the latter, personally, and he makes a bit more of a killing in the mid-range. But at the end of the day, I'm a believer in Paulo's offensive game. I have a lot of concerns defensively, like I think you do as well. Yeah. But I'm a believer in Paulo's offensive game translating at a high enough level that I really like him at number three overall. Yeah, it's a good sell. And he's also riding a nice wave right now of being the last lottery guy left in the NCAA tournament. So there, you do just naturally have the recency bias paired with the better play in the, in the second half of the year, which allowed him to even sort of reenter the number one overall pick discussion. I'm not saying he's going to go number one, but it seems like more of a thing. Like in, in January, December is like, I don't know, this guy's kind of tailing off. And then he showed more of the size and strength paired with that footwork you discussed in the post and the mid post. The passing gets significantly better as the year wore on. A little bit more decisive with quicker moves. Can the shot get there? I think so. A lot of times it felt just more confidence than mechanical. I, I didn't think the shot yep. was broken. It was just like in the brain. It was, it was processing. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he shows more defense in the NBA too. It, it was like out of sorts at times at Duke. And, and people forget that in high school, he was like a really good rotational shot blocker and, and quick to help across the lane. I don't know if like the schemes like didn't necessarily like work for him either. He's the most baked prospect of the bunch. And I, I mean that is that like he's like take the tray out of the oven type of guy. Like you know what you have. Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, like yeah. the oven's gotta stay on for about twenty more minutes. Paulo's like ready to go. So if you need something with immediacy and this isn't like a, a low ceiling guy either but just more of like you know what you're gonna get so uh, he's moved up my board i, I had him at, uh, one spot lower than you at four uh, but uh, i'm fine with him going third okay 
Penny, you are up at number four. I like this so far because we've had different picks here. Uh, I think this one will be the same. I'm going to go with Jaden Ivey from Purdue. Yep. Jaden Ivey is the most electrifying player in Sears draft. Uh, I love the up and down style that he plays with. You can plop him into some NBA spots right now, and he would hold his own stylistically with how he adapts to different paces of play. You saw at Purdue. He was able to go out and go fast and transition. He was able to play in the half court. He's able to hit the gas when he needed to. He stopped at a dime and, and skipped it opposite. He has that malleability as a prospect to play different ways. Uh, I want him to tighten up the pull-up game. I want him to tighten up the decisiveness in the lane, especially with his offhand, with his left. A lot of times he's driving in there. He beats his guy and goes back to his right despite being on the wrong side of the rim. And his defense could get there. He, he's a toolsy player that, that has the makeup to be a lockdown defender if he stays into it. He'll have some of those cheat steals every game, but yeah, he falls asleep and, and drifts and get caught up in a, a down screen and people recovering and it hurts his team. But I'd be surprised if he's a miss in this range. He just does too much out there offensively in transition, what he's going to be able to do in the half court. I, I believe the defense will get there. So I, I'd love getting him at, at fourth of this draft. Yeah, the, the only two things that worry me here are the vision, consistently making the right decision as he drives as a live dribble passer in half-court settings, mm-hmm. and the defense. Like, he's just a weird, you know, sometimes he's on, sometimes he's not defender. I think he actually defends a little bit better off the ball than he does consistently on the ball. Um, falls and, asleep and, sometimes off yeah. the ball, too, but... Like it's when he's engaged off the ball, like he really locks and trails, fights through screens. Like he has some moments where he's pretty high level. So yeah, weird. He's a weirder evaluation than the typical like super athlete guard. Cause there are disparate parts of his game that are, you want to buy into being just eminently fixable. Yeah. But also like he needs to prove that he's willing to do it. At the end of the day. And, and look, we talked last week about Anthony Edwards and we had some more concerns. And now that he's willing to do it and people are hailing him as a, as a star and, and Jaden Ivey, maybe that just takes one more switch and it's a different system. It's a different franchise and it really unlocks all those things I've been hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Too. Okay. Number five. This is where the draft gets a little bit more difficult. Um, I am going to take Keegan Murray. That's not difficult. I think it's like not a no brainer necessarily, but to me, he's the guy that I feel most comfortable with. There are two more guys, including Keegan that I feel eminently like comfortable taking at five and six, along with Jaden at four that are just a tier below those guys, right? Keegan's one of them. Average 23 points, nine rebounds, two assists per game. He shot 55% from the field, 40 from three, 75 from the line. Uh, average 1.3 steals, 1.9 blocks. Incredibly productive player. I worry about his defensive movement uh, very much. Like I, I have real concerns there. But he's a polished enough offensive player while being explosive enough athletically to where I, I see a lot of Tobias Harris in his game. I, I really quite like what I've seen from Keegan Murray and for as much shit as Tobias Harris gets because he's on a max contract, uh, Tobias Harris, you know, for, you know, a five year stretch averaged essentially like 19.7 rebounds, three assists per game, or I think it was like 27 and three assists per game or something while shooting 50, 37, 
like 87 or something like that. So you get that at number four or number five. I'm pretty comfortable with that at the end of the day. It's like just that sub all-star level player, which in this draft, if you can, you could guarantee me that. And I don't think he can necessarily guarantee to do that, but I think he's a really good bet to do it. I, I would feel come, I would come away feeling very comfortable with that at number five. Totally. I had him also at number five. You know what he is, and uh, the jumper really came on late, too. I mean, percentages could be a little bit higher. Just the, he started off slow, and then he got more comfortable. He showed he could score out of one-on-one situations. He's going to feast on mismatches against slower-footed bigs when it switched out on the perimeter. And, and you mentioned the numbers and the scoring. And he did that against every defense and junk coverage you can imagine. Uh, I'm more of a believer in his ability to guard up the lineup a, a little bit. The, the one kind of analogy I want to make here is, he does feel safe. We use the word safe. We, we kind of know what he is, right? I felt that way about Franz Wagner last year. Despite his numbers kind of being crazy in the tournament, I felt Franz yeah. Wagner was safe. To me, Scotty Barnes was more of a risk. Scotty Barnes, they're both very good players. and I, I'm not like kicking myself that I had Franz one spot ahead of Scotty. Scotty Barnes, rookie of the year, and exceeded expectations, right? If Keegan Murray's the safe pick, and you'll probably get to these guys down the line, at what point, as a franchise, do you take the swing and say, I'm not going safe, I'm going with Shaden Sharp, who could maybe hit more of, like, I don't think Keegan Murray's going to have, like, this astronomical trajectory, but if you can get a guy like Shaden Sharp, who's a little bit flashier, it, it could be, like, a home run and not a double, like, do you take that swing at five? <laughs> the shade and sharp conversation is going to be fascinating. Let's let's just hold that. Okay, I think. so well, I got next, but just chew on it. That's just it's it's safety versus. Hey, we could you know door number one or number two. Pull up door number one. It's like oh great, it's a four pack of uh, yeah. whatever. And then door number two, it's like could be a million dollars, could be a, a pack of beer. Who knows? Yeah, uh, at, at okay. some point here in the next couple minutes, I would assume we're going to be taking shade and sharp. So let's just like talk about shade and sharp when we go there and and i'm not uh i'm gonna stick yeah, my guns here sixth overall shaden's got a few spots to go here i'm gonna go with johnny davis from wisconsin <laughs> this is the first this is the first I one know. where I'm i got like, a couple boy. buckle and my next one's crazy too yeah. uh he's getting a bad rap he is playing through injury and in, in sputtering at the end of the year and uh, where i argue he was gassed he was playing 34 minutes a night all year long really not having the chance to take any plays off. And that, I would argue, railroaded his shooting numbers. He shot 22% from three the last month of the season. He's never going to be a a 40% shooter from three, but he's better than what he was. As a six-foot-five combo, they can get his own shot, play out of pick and roll, show defensive instincts away from the ball. I like what he brings to the table as another high-level complementary piece on an NBA roster next to a, a superstar NBA guard he's going to be a lot better than people think. And that's why I have him sixth on my board. If he can help that Wisconsin team win a portion of the Big Ten, and all year all we talked about how low the Big Ten was, show me what he looks like when he has a couple of dudes around him too. So I, Johnny Davis, I I really like him. I'm not jumping off the bandwagon. That's why I'm taking him sixth. Yeah, I've slid him down. Um, he's not in my top ten at this point. Yeah. It's mostly just because of the size. Like it's a lot harder to be six foot four and a half and be like a good two guard and make like a high level defensive impact. Like I think we're projecting for Johnny than it is to be like a six foot seven wing essentially and make a high level defensive impact. Uh, If he was six, seven, I would take him at five 
no no questions right. asked. It's just like it's pretty hard to be six foot four and a half and you know not have crazy length. He has good length, not like insane length, and really be a high level like real difference making defender. Um, did did the missteps we took? to an extent with Jalen Suggs impact your decision to put him down just because Jalen's not like crazy size. The situation yeah. for him developmentally, like wasn't the best. They have a million guards at Orlando, but th- did that jilt your thinking at all? I, I had Jalen second. That was, that was too high, obviously in retrospect. Yeah, me too. Uh, but did I, that kind of change or, or shape your, your pick here or non pick, I guess. Um, No, I, I guess that like, it, it makes me understand that, like I think Jalen Suggs is just a way better prospect than Johnny Davis, like on a number of levels. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does the one place where they are comparable, I think, is shooting. Uh the shooting with Johnny is really concerning, I think. Like I think the floor is lower than what we may have been evaluating throughout the year, as we kind of saw. Like as he starts to go up against longer, more athletic players, what if the shooting we saw from Wisconsin uh, late in the season with Johnny is more what he is, I guess. I, I think the floor is lower for Johnny Davis, I guess, than what we thought it was early in the year is what I would say. All right. Great okay. History. Next pick. You're up. Number seven. I'm taking Ben Matherin. All right. Had him at eight. Yeah. Uh, I have been at six right now. And the reason I'm taking Ben is because I think he's kind of, for all of the reasons we just talked about with Johnny Davis, um, to me, Johnny Davis is a smaller version of Ben Matherin. Johnny Davis is a better defender right now than Ben, but Ben's tools are just much better and they translate to him playing better in the NBA as we go up against higher level competition. On top of that, I think that the real critical factor here is the way that Ben closed the season uh, was absolutely outstanding on a number of levels. He averaged 19 points, five rebounds, one steal. He shot 44 from the field, 39 from three, 78 from the line. But more than that, he drastically improved as a passer. One of our two big worries for Ben Matherin early in the season and coming into the season was that he wasn't really much of a distributor. He didn't know how to stop, survey, make a high level decision over the back half of the season, over his final 15 games, he did that. He really improved in that regard. On top of that, he's bigger. He elevates more uh, on his jumper. He has a really nice little floater game. That's stop and pop to uh, jump stop floater game. Um, he's more athletic than Johnny Davis is. Like I, I just kind of buy the intersection of size and athleticism at a higher level with Ben Matherin. Yeah, he he had that awesome game, the monster game against TCU in the tournament, which everyone stayed up late for. And it's like, man, maybe this guy's a top five pick. He did go four for 14, the next one against Houston. And I I thought he he came back down to earth like somebody probably should after they have a 30 ball at six foot six or six foot seven did did improve most statistical categories. Thirty eight percent. So shooter or his two season Tucson. Uh, Again, I I don't really see him as a, a number one option. And that's why I have him. I, I think maybe a no. I have him eighth, but I, I like I liked him. I just couldn't like quite get there to put him in like that upper tier of the guys we just talked about before. Just something's missing. A little bit of the creation off the dribble. He's a one to two dribble guy. I don't know when yeah. he offensively gets on an island. Is he going to be able to break down a man? 
versus shifting defense uh, out of a ball screen, a pin down better. Uh, I don't necessarily buy his his one on one creation stuff as much as I would from Johnny Davis. Okay, you are up at number eight. All right, here we go. Buckle in. This is not going to be your eighth pick. It's my seventh pick. This is a big jump for me. Uh, this is another flag that I'm firmly planting now. I'm going to go with Malachi Branham from Ohio State. I don't have him that far off. Okay. Uh, you know, th- no, I would not take Branham here, but I, I'm not like wildly far off from where you are here. So a, a big jump. And I'd argue he was hitting his stride as the season ended. So it's sort of like you get to the best part in the movie and the cinema shuts it down and says, hey, it's over, go home. No, it's not. His his time in the NBA is the second part of the movie. Like we're we're not ending here. He averaged twenty points per game last month of the season. He has a great yep. pull up jumper with elevation. He showed he can make more threes to stretch the floor. We saw that in the NCAA tournament against Villanova. He doesn't have blinded quickness, but he knows how to use angles and screens to score and use those to his advantage. Uh, yep. Just the best is is yet to come with this guy. And and this is the beauty of the draft is, is youth and you take the swings for players you see outperforming what they did in college. That's what I was alluding to earlier too. These are the type of swings that can change a franchise. I'm not saying it's necessarily Malachi Branham, but you have to like believe that there's more to this player and it can be like, yeah, there's, there's probably some safer picks with, with more film and guys have done it below there. And he wasn't thought of to necessarily be this one and done lottery pick. But for the way he ended the year and the way he got better and became like the man on a team that was EJ Liddell's team and carried them yeah. for for long stretches, I, I just I, I just have a gut feeling that it's going to keep getting better too. And the numbers are good too. I'm, I'm not like saying, hey, I got a gut feeling for a guy that averages six point per game, shot what fifty, forty, eighty uh, during the the freshman season too. Uh, he's got a. He would make a big jump if he goes back to Columbus. That's obviously not going to happen. So I, I'd be happy with him as a piece with with what I got going forward. Yeah, the only thing that really worries me is the defense. Uh, in passing, obviously a little bit, but more the defense. I uh, I thought he was terrible this year on defense. Like, just there's not another way or like <laughs> another way to put it. Like he was yeah. a disaster. I thought. Um, the numbers show that like Ohio state was, I think like seven points per hundred possessions better defensively when he was off the court. Um, his positioning is mess. I don't think he has great defensive tools in terms of quickness actually either. Yeah. Uh, he's not like a wild athlete. He's big. He is like a great frame. He's six foot six, six eleven wingspan. Um, I have a big board coming on Monday. And I highlight him as a guy that like is really moving up for NBA teams. So I, I don't think this is as crazy as what people will say. Oh, they will. And people that, that do listen probably knew this was coming for us because we have 16th and then 12th and now we're here. Yeah. Uh, it just your brain does funny things too. When the season ends, you go back and, and watch some film. It's like you kind of remove yourself and dive back into it. And it's like hard. It's hard yeah, in the, the middle of it. Hard. Yeah. Yeah, to like really contextualize what's happening around the country. So yeah, no, I, I don't really like anyone who's like, how does a guy move from, you know, 12th when the year ended to number six when the season, you know, when no games have been played? It's because teams go back, they watch tape, they do really strong deep dives on these guys, they contextualize that person within the entirety of the whole class, and you make a board out of it. Like it's, it's not hard. <laughs> I mean, this yeah. is. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not diving into the weird straw man that I'm diving into. Uh, number nine, I'm taking Shaden Sharp. Uh, uh, I, was, I was too, for the record. Yeah, no. So Shaden Sharp, 
he is uh, the highest upside swing remaining here. Uh, I-, I would take him over Malachi Branham, certainly. Um, I would take him over Johnny Davis. Uh, he's kind of the end of a tier for me. He is a really, really explosive athletically six foot six, six, you know, 11 ish wingspan, something like that. Great athleticism in the open court. I, I do want to see a little bit more of his athleticism in the half court, yeah. uh, which we're not going to see pre draft, unfortunately, but I do yeah. want to see more of how that translates when he's crowded. Cause I feel like that's something we didn't get to see a lot of uh, with him as a finisher. The finishing numbers. For him, uh, at Peach Jam last year were really good in half court settings. Uh, like they were equivalent with like freaking Kyle Filipowski, right? Who's, you know, six eleven, seven foot center from Matt's neck of the woods. Uh, really effective scorer on the interior and Sharp was right in his like ballpark as a top five percentage wise finisher, but he got a lot of those on off ball cuts and dunks and that stuff. Like I want to see as a self creator, how he finishes. We need to see how he looks on defense. He plays hard. I know that, um, you know, pretty consistently. It's just whether or not he has any sort of real feel. Like, I I don't know what his feel is at the end of the day um, toward playing as an off ball player, but gets to his pull up game at a really high level has the finishing numbers at the very least, has all of the tools to be a very, very, very good pull-up player. I would take him before this, but with the way the draft fell, I am happy for him to fall to number nine. It's a mystery, man. It's basically straight from high school or, or prep school player. And and how much do you trust the unknown? Like, the clips look good. Jonathan Giovanni tweeted a clip of him working out. Measurements yeah. look good. Uh, this guy will not play a competitive five-on-five rep in pre-draft. So that means he won't have played a meaningful game in over a year by the time he puts on an NBA jersey. And the last meaningful game he played is prep school, high school. It's still kind of dicey what level of play that was. Uh, I like the explosion. I like the size for the wing. I I still have zero fear for this. I'll be completely honest. You you don't want to miss. You don't want to be the guy that took a high schooler nowhere near ready to play with the ninth pick. But also he could have been someone who goes top three next year if he played at Kentucky. So how much do you trust your individual evaluation for a, a pre-draft 1-0 workout? Scary, but uh, I had him say hey, a lot as you. Hey, 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 excuse me. What? One-on-one workout with our legend Kevin Kangoo. Shout out Kevin Kangoo, baby. Got to shout out Kevin one, Kangoo. One-on-one one, one workout. Better than the Yijin Leon chairman of the board workouts yeah. uh, from way back from yesteryear. So, okay. He, yeah. Move on here. Uh, okay. Kevin so, Kangu. Shout out Kevin Kangu. That's going to be our new bit on the podcast. Parish and Norlander. Shout out Larnell from uh, DeAndre Ayton fame. Yeah. Yeah. Love Larnell. Yeah. We're going to shout out Kevin Kangu. All right. Penny, you're up at 10. Thanks. Uh, so 10th, another person I don't know what to do with. I'm going to go with AJ Griffin. Okay. I'm glad you took him. <laughs> Why? Were you uh, about to or just like take this off my plate? Uh, yeah. More take it off my plate. Good. Uh, on highlight reels, when you do break down the film, he looks like a top five guy. If you if you just watch the highlights, despite the the wide Bagwellian base from three, he shot nearly forty five percent from distance, fifty percent from the field. Uh, cuts well away from the ball, finds open seams. He's okay making some plays on the move. I'm scared with the lack of pop that sort of disappeared the season at Duke. He he had some at at Archbishop Steckmack. He had it uh, on the peach at the Peach Dam or out on the UIBL. I'm sorry. Could it be an injury? Could it be him holding back? Maybe. Uh, I didn't like his defense away from the ball, especially. It looks yep. like a little heavy, a little clunky at times. 
I'm sort of betting on him being a guy that looks like a million bucks during pre-draft too, and it works on his body and, and slides up. I, I, I have him tenth. You, you probably have him a little bit lower. I would still be surprised if he slides outside of the lottery. I don't. I, I don't have him tenth. I have him within, or no, I have him within the top ten. I would say. Um, I think this is reasonable. Like it, it's just a guy that. I feel strange taking because yeah. I actually don't love the tape weirdly um, for all of the reasons you said, I love the shooting and I love uh, just the frame and the physicality that he has potential to bring. But like the, the idea here is like, you're hoping in a Jalen Brown style way that he wasn't able to show everything that yeah. he can show at Duke because Duke's offense wasn't well spaced. Right. But yeah. he's just nowhere near the athlete in terms of like pop. It feels like that Jalen was. So uh, maybe you're hoping that some of that athleticism comes back as he gets further away from the injuries. Maybe it does. That I think that's a real unknown factor here that could really play itself out and why I think you have to have AJ Griffin in the top 10 somewhere. But um, yeah, complicated evaluation. Okay, we're at 10. Let's take a quick commercial break. <laughs> Okay, I'm up at number ten, number eleven. Yeah, here in our mock draft, I'm going to take Jeremy Sohan uh, out of Baylor. Uh, okay. Stole him from you. Yeah. I knew you're taking him. Yeah. Okay. The pitch for Jeremy Sohan is like a worse version of Scotty Barnes' pitch, <laughs> kind of. Insofar okay. as like can handle the ball a little bit, makes reasonable passing reads, can shoot a little bit defends well away from the basket can kind of act as a ball handler in pick and rolls, as well as a role man in pick and rolls can switch out away from the perimeter as a one and can even occasionally slide down to the five and deal with bigger dudes. Uh, not necessarily super giants like Jonas Valanciunas and Joel Embiid guys like that, but I think he can slide down and defend uh, some fives like bam at a bio sized, right? Uh just the versatility of skill set. I, I think that it's real. He's one of the youngest players in the draft. And I buy the upside uh, of Jeremy Sohan eventually coming to fruition, even if it's a bit more of a project uh, than what we would think. Yeah, he can play everywhere. The, the new age positionless basketball. He, he is sort of the seamless fit on offense and defense. I also like his experience playing internationally during the COVID season. Uh, I think the jumper is going to get better too. Just a multi-use big that sort of showed he can play a multitude of roles. So that's why I had him the exact same spot that you did. Okay, let's go. Number 12, you're up. I feel like this is where it gets weird. Uh, I'm going to go with Jalen Duran from Memphis. Okay. So uh, a true monster in the middle. He is big, strong, powerful, finishes by the rim, has some vision to pass out of the high post. I, I do want to see him keep it a little bit more simple. Shop blocker on defense, and this was a player who was the number one ranked guy in the country as, as I guess, a high school junior. He got the ranking, then some in basketball circles say he took his foot off the gas. He he relaxed a little bit. He's not going first in this draft, so he's going to have that chip back on his shoulder, too, to prove people wrong. I don't want to say he underachieved at Memphis, but he didn't quite live up to the mammoth expectations that he faced. He should be a senior in high school and going to the prom this week. He reclassified and went to college early. 
if a high school senior can do what he did, I'm good saying that he's a starting NBA center in a, a place that I feel semi comfortable taking him at the back half of the lottery. Yeah, totally reasonable. Uh, you know, the, the question for me is just how heavy are his feet? Yep. Uh, is he going to be able to move away from the basket? I think that's like a real thing that NBA teams have some concerns about, especially again, we're in the middle of the playoffs. We've seen guys get played off the court. Can Jalen Duran improve his footwork enough to where he can stay on the court in those biggest moments? Uh, and then number two, like just how limited is he offensively? How much room for growth is there offensively? You know, there wasn't much this year, but we'll see long-term. Maybe there will be. Okay. Number 13, I'm taking Dyson Daniels. Uh, mm. Just the best defensive guard in this draft class, I think. He is six foot seven, you know, something in that range. He's going to be able to slide one through three pretty easily. Probably going to be able to handle some four men. Uh, he's the kind of switchable, versatile player that really works in today's NBA. On top of that, he can play some point. He's a really, really high-level passer. Really sees the court well. Sees over the top of defenders. Um, you know, needs to shoot. Like, absolutely has to shoot it at some point. There's no question there. But if he shoots it, uh, he's going to be a starting caliber player that makes an impact on playoff teams. If he doesn't shoot it, He's, you know, an effective role player, I think, basically, because he's so good as a distributor-defender combination. I'm 17th, so a few spots below you. Ha- has all those tools and never going to be a, a super athlete per se, but smart. He's savvy. keeps your offense running. Uh, I-, I like him, and I think sort of like could he be more of a, a wing-passing type guy like uh, Cade does at times, like a Giddy does at times, and not necessarily on the ball too. If he slides more in that role, you want that jumper to develop even more so. But, uh, yeah, it's it's sort of like the deviation of about five spots for me. Yeah, for sure. Okay. We're, we're buzzing through. Let's go. Good Number buzz. 14. It's going to be under four hours today. I, I, I like that you, you took him there because 13th on my board was one of my guys from last year, from this year. I get Oshai Baji, national champion from Kansas. And what a ride it's been outside the top 60 a season ago to now a – semi-lottery pick here on our board, worked his way back into that range and captures a national championship on the way. Much more assertive this year on the wing. Quicker making reads, always moving, went off the ball. He ran the lanes hard, stretched out the defense. Averaged 19 points and five rebounds per game. Shot 40% from three. Had 29 points opening night versus Michigan State. Never really turned it off all the way. I get it. He's he's a bit older, so that's why he's here and not ahead of Ben Mather and ahead of Malachi Branham. But he's ready to help right away. It's, you're not waiting for the development. He fits into an NBA locker room from a maturity standpoint, and, and that's why he's still a lottery pick for me. Does the shooting tail off at the end of the year worry you at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does. I, I, like, I don't think it's all the way there. Um, but we, remember we had this conversation like conference play. Remember the free throws yeah. like really down? It's like, well, is he, and then the free throws went up. We kind of got quiet, and then – he had a good game or two shooting the tournament. Then he cooled off again. He won most outstanding player. They voted like way too early, uh, but I, I he'll he'll get there. He he is a worker, and the the preseason pre draft stuff last year has made its rounds all over the place. And uh, I'm I'm okay knowing that he's going to contribute next year. Okay, uh, number fifteen. We're up to now, right? Yep. I'm going to take Mark Williams out of Duke. Uh, similar, you know. That uh, is Jalen Duran is, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But 
Mark Williams is a little bit more polished defensively right now in terms of his positioning. Uh, he is, I think, a bit more of a consistent rebounder. When Duran's motor is running in, he's a better rebounder for sure. But uh, when Mark is out there, I think he's a more effective offensive rebounder, particularly, and creates extra possessions. Uh, I believe that Mark Williams is a better rim runner right now than Jalen mm-hmm. Duran is, but obviously he's older. I think he's, what, like 18 months older, yeah. something like that. Um, he's just more developed right now, but he has all the tools, seven foot one, seven foot six wingspan, uh, finishes really well above the basket, plays well in drop coverage, not a total liability away from the basket defensively. Uh, this is a starting center in the NBA at some point, I think. And shoots 72% from the field, keeps it simple defensively with the 2.8 blocks per game. NBA starter, I, him and Dern are really close. I, I flip flop on which guy I have in front of the other. And, and he did outplay what I projected last season at Duke. I, I probably didn't give him a fair shake when the year before he did so much. I said that was just because of like the circumstances. No, he, he's actually good. He's a, a mid-first-round pick. Yep. Okay. You're up at number 16, Penny. <sighs> okay. 16. I'm going to go with Blake Wesley from Notre Dame. Okay. I, I Blake as a first rounder. That's yeah, fine. so uh, we're we're in, we're swinging now. So a big guard with a big wingspan can make reads and plays off the dribble. Shot it better as the year rolled on. Best part of this game is the shot creation, and he's learning how to blend the scoring and passing together. I didn't love a lot of the looks late in, in the NCAA tournament games. He's blocked by the rim, didn't have quite the pop, the explosion. But he's new to high level basketball. He his high school senior year was during that COVID year. What does he look like in, in three seasons? Does he make that sort of jump sophomore year if he goes back and he's the Johnny Davis, he's the Malachi Branham, he's the Jaden Ivey, Keegan Murray, whoever you want to put in that that bucket, and then he's a top 10 guy. So to get him six spots lower, you're investing in his development and take some time to get him there, and that's why I'm taking him at uh, 15 or 16. Yeah, the thing that worries me with Blake and why I have him more in the 20s is just – the combination of his inefficiency as a scorer and shooter right now, as well as the passing. Like, I think that the two are connected. He often misses passing reads and Mm -hmm. forces up really difficult shots because defenses have collapsed on him and he doesn't really see the court well enough yet. That's his key development. And I think that's like something that you can develop uh, at the end of the day. And if he does develop that and then improves as a shooter, yeah, I think that 16 is probably right, to be honest, for Blake Wesley. I think the floor is a little bit lower, which is it why is. I have him a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I don't I don't hate this by any stretch. Yeah, that was one of my three I thought you'd hate. So for you to be lukewarm is a, a win in this house. Yeah, I've kind of come around a little bit on him to where I just like am willing to bet on the tools at a certain point. Like, do I have him, you know? I don't know, eight to 10 spots lower than this. I do. But, and like, do I have a couple of guys in a tier that I feel pretty confident that they're going to be first rounders and like, I would take them ahead. I do to be honest, but I'm fine with where you have Blake Wesley at this point. I am going to take another kind of combo guard as I knock my microphone. Around. <laughs> uh, this is live live folks. I'm going to take Ty Ty Washington. Oh, no, there it is. Number 17. Okay. So, Ty Ty Washington dealt with injuries throughout the back half of the season. Prior to his injuries, he was the most effective freshman guard in the country analytically. Uh, He was the uh, player Mm -hmm. whose tape I thought looked really, really good. Like you 
go back to those early games. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think he shot like 45 from the field, 38 from three, 80 plus from the line while averaging like 14, four and four. Uh, just has a tremendous skill level and processes the game at a really high level. I know he's a little bit older and he turns yeah. 21 early in his freshman year, but early in his rookie year. But like, I just buy the skill set and the way that he processes the game, translating at a high level toward playing as a role player with a bigger wing creator uh, at the end of the day. So I, I don't know that he's for every team necessarily, but if I already had like a, two guard or a three guard that the ball is going to be in their hands a lot. I really like Ty Ty as my like point guard who can defend ones a little bit, defend twos uh, who can play as more of a secondary ball handling point guard and who can knock down shots and make high level passing reads. I had him 19th. So a couple spots down older for the class uh, really even at his peak, he doesn't have great separation off the bounce. I thought the shot was fine. Not great. And he has to sort of hang his hat on that hot, hot start and some injuries that hinder his overall play. And you, UK guards post-Kentucky, and especially Tyrese Maxey when he gets going, as crazy as it sounds, I think it helps his case a little bit. Like the offensive output could be more than was at Kentucky, and we'll, we'll never really get to know because once he got hurt in that Auburn game that, sorry if I cursed you, I was at, he was never really like that same player for the first half of the year. Yeah. No, I think that's right. Okay. You're up at number 18. All right, one of your guys, kind of technically. I'm going to go with Usman Jang. Okay, yeah. No, I, that's who I was hoping would fall, so I'm there. So it turns 19 in May, if I'm not mistaken. Six foot 10, 220 pounds. I wrote him off in December. I, I did. I'm guilty of that because he looked really out of place in the games I watched. He wasn't making shots. The game seemed too fast and too physical. Then I went back and I said, oop, yep, missed this guy. And the, the first thing that stands out is his size. He's really big. He uses the length, the build, the frame well when coming off screens and getting downhill. And that's when he's kind of his best. The jumper is weird. It's like a sling across his face, and I didn't love that. But I, I like his smarts. He, he knows how to maximize give and goes. He spaces out the floor on drives and, and cuts back and, and creates like different angles there. He'll reset the offense when he needs to. His game is a little funky with these like short floaters in the paint and no real explosion in traffic, but gets where he needs to. And he also has a, a dose of mystery to him, too, of the kind of type of player he is and the type of player it can be. But for his age and his size and the skill set, I'd, I'd like him here at, at this place in the first round. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me if he ends up in the lottery by the end of the process, by any stretch. Uh I, I want to learn more about where he's at athletically and what the athletic upside is long term. I think that's where I'm like a little bit questionable mm -hmm. right now because he's just more of a Cadillac than he is like a Camaro, right? Ooh, like like he kind of gets to his spots and just cruises to his spots, but he can do it because he's so big and his extension and stride length is so big. Uh it's easier to recover on him though a little bit right now. And over his last 12 games, he averaged 13.3 points on 48% from the field, 36% from three. Like that's awesome numbers playing professionally in the NBL. The NBL is good league. Like that 18. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really good as a teenager. So yeah, th this is a, this is the guy I was considering with Ty Ty. So by the way, we're now at the point where, oh. uh, all of my guys that I think are like lock 
first round picks, like no doubter first round picks are off the board. 18 picks in. Wow. Uh, uh, okay. We'll keep going. I'd argue there's a few more, but I don't, um, I don't totally disagree with you. Uh, my next pick at number 18, 19, I have 19. Yeah, you have the 19. odds. Yeah. Tari Eason. Yeah. So I, he's a, he's a first round pick, right? Like I, I had him 18 as well. I'd be surprised if he falls out of the first round. I would be surprised, but I don't think it's impossible. He lasts to like 35 or so. Um, yeah, six foot eight defends really, really well. He can switch and slide and he can protect the rim. He's really strong, rebounds at a high level, establishes position at a high level. Ultimately, a lot of it comes down to where you are on the dumper. Uh, his jumper is a work in progress mechanically. Uh, has good touch, hit 36% from three this year. Can also go out and handle the ball and transition at a high level. But uh, kind of a catapulty, weird looking jumper at the end of the day that's not going to be for everyone, I think is the way to put it. Um, 17 points, seven rebounds. Uh, I think he's a better passer than the one assist per game. Like he shows some flashes as a passer, not going to be like a distributor necessarily, but not like a selfish player by any stretch. And I think the open court of the NBA will help him uh, a little bit more. So uh, Tari Eason, 19. Uh, transition to a big that's kind of that four or three ish type role gets up and down. And uh, I do have some concerns though when the court is shrunk down and he needs to make some reads there and it's not as wide open. Needs to develop the left hand too. Like he won't cross over. He'll just go backwards and take a right like a car that doesn't have like a blinker going the other direction. Uh, but I, I'd say he's a first round pick. I, I do. I, I don't think he would go crazy higher or crazy lower, but sort of this, this space here. Yeah. Okay, you are up number 20. All right, so 20 is actually 20 on my board. I'm going to go with Marshawn Beauchamp from the G League Ignite. Marshawn seems to be the early leader for draft workout MVP. If you've uh, seen the videos, he looks like a million bucks. He's hitting mid-range jumpers, hitting threes. It's like, well, can that guy do that? Maybe a little bit older. Uh, He only showed that a little bit with the G League Ignite. It was more the activity level away from the ball rebounding putbacks playing the middle of the zone he's a fourth or fifth starter that, that's how i view him he turns 22 in october so he's older you have to know this is more of sort of what you're getting i, I we've said this for a few guys but i don't think he's going to come in and like significantly outplay this range for for how old he is what his experience level is right now yeah when i went back and watched the ignite tape i was less enthused about him um, and kind of dropped him back pretty substantially. Uh, I don't really like the jumper when it's in the run of play, but maybe maybe it improves. He's clearly a worker. Like That's the big thing that I keep coming back to and why I can't quite get him outside of the first round, mm-hmm. even though like the tape to me says he should probably be slightly outside of the first round. Um, if you think that he's going to work and shoot, he's a no-brainer first-rounder. He's six seven, long arms, a junkyard dog, like defends, like really goes into the dirty areas of the court, has no problem doing that. Like not a great passer, but not a selfish player by any stretch. You just really have to buy the shot. And if you buy the shot, then you take him, you know, at, where, where are you at, 20? Yeah, I think yeah, it's a reasonable right. pick. But um, I had him a little bit lower, but I not much lower at the end of the day. 
Yeah, we're in the weird weird place. We're in the upside down. So 21. You said he had some wild ones for me. Give me a wild one at 21. <sighs> Couldn't get much farther than this without Pat Baldwin. I had him 23. And I, it's just, the sh- I buy the shooting. Like, I think that he's had nobody to create for him this year. Their guard situation was an absolute disaster. Uh, I just think that if he has guys that are able to get him open threes, it's going to work. He's enormous. Like, he's like almost six foot ten from what I've been told. And he is just someone that you go back and you watch the high school tape and you're like, how did this fail so badly? Yeah. Is a freshman at Milwaukee. I don't know. Like, I really don't know. Uh, maybe it really is just as simple as being a total mess in terms of guard play. But um, here I feel a lot more comfortable betting on him to give effort and play intense level uh, basketball than I do at, you know, 14, 15 or whatever. So I don't feel great about this pick. He'll be one of the worst statistical profiles to be drafted in the first round in a long time. Yeah. But you go back and you watch the tape and it's, it makes sense from high school. I thought he had a chance to be a top five guy in the preseason. I did. Uh, college season was a mess. That team played hurt. Never, ever got it clicking. But for a shooter with size, that was a top three player in his class. You have to imagine what does this look like at Duke with that lineup or a wing at North Carolina when they make their run or really any offense that would make his life easier. He wasn't the guy, but he can be a guy on a very good NBA team. And now in the twenties, it's, it's more veterans, more teams that have won winning cultures. He doesn't have to come in and like, if he's picked 10th, it's the same expectation level all over again. It's like, okay, go yep. be the, go be the savior. He, he wasn't at Milwaukee, just, just being Frank, but he can be a good, like number two, good number three against a team that just maybe needs some scoring off the bench. Has some works to do, uh, has some questions to answer. Also came out today via Jonathan Giovanni that he is in the transfer portal. Yep. If he doesn't get a promise in the 20s, I would go play at Duke. Go play at North Carolina. Go play at Northwestern. Do something because your stock is only going to improve. Because if you can't get the that promise there and you slide into the second round, then it gets dicey on G League, non-guaranteed year two, a a two-way. Like, who knows? It it becomes a real crapshoot. He's too talented to get there. So if he... Goes beyond this range, yes, transfer, build your pub, build back up your case. If not, go to a, a vet team that you can help, and you don't have to be expected to produce really right away. I agree. Okay, let's go to number 22 for you. 22. Uh, this is very anti-me. I'm going with another big. I'm going to go with Walker Kessler from Auburn. Okay. Yeah, I have him in this range. Seven one. He's huge. He's very long arms. He's national defensive player of the year for most of the season. Sets really big screens. He rim rolls. Unfortunately, saved his worst for the last in the NCAA tournament. Not just those couple of games alone hurt his stock, but it, it did bring up some questions. So finishing stuff, pair it with the streaky shot that that never really got back to where he was in high school, and that's the tumble. Uh, I like him in the twenties. I got him as high as like fifteen or so during the year. If he's able to protect the rim and allow his guards and his wings to pressure the ball a little bit more, he'll find a way to stick out there. So you're also, it's weird saying like you want more from the National Defensive Player of the Year, but we, we talk about the NBA playoffs and staying on the court and not being exposed to ball screens, so he, he'll have to do some of that carving out too. Yeah, that's why I don't have him in the teens, is because I don't think he could play in the playoffs right now. 
I think he'd get played off the court, frankly. Um, Having said that, he has a chance to shoot at some point, like you said, and he uh, is the best rim protector, purely is a rim protector presence at the basket right now in this class. I think he has a real chance to be a regular season starting center. Uh, You know, the, the epitome of like right now, at least, an 82-game defensive player versus a 16-game defensive yeah. player, as Draymond Green likes to put it. Um, and that's fine. Like, in the 20s, if you get that guy and you feel confident that that's who he is, that's a worthwhile pick because he'll provide you value at the end of the day. Okay, number 23. Getting there. <sighs> this is This is where we're going to get a little nuts. I'm taking Jake Laravia. Oh, let's go. Oh my God. Where, where'd you yeah. have him? Where'd give it to me? Not there. He was, he was not in the first round. Yeah. Not surprised. Okay. So, <laughs> well, you said Jay, I thought you were on somewhere else. We'll get there. Keep going. No, uh, Jake Laravia, high level shooter, high level processor of the game. Great passer. Uh, really knows just kind of how to make it work defensively. He doesn't have great feet, but, you go back and you watch the tape and he figured it out, right? Like you could catch him occasionally on top of that. I think there's a lot of room for growth in terms of the frame, in terms of uh, adding a little bit of lateral quickness. He's a little bit pudgy right now. You go back and you watch the tape. Like it feels like there's some upward growth potential once an NBA team gets their hands on him in terms of being able to like develop his frame. This is a kid that, you know, small town, you know, Indiana, if I remember correctly, and then goes to Indiana State, like didn't have the best uh, strength and conditioning training throughout the course of his life. Uh, I'm willing to bet on brain analytics, uh, shooting, passing, processing ability at this point in the draft. I, I think that Laravia, has, like I've been high on him throughout the year. I'm just willing to bet on it here. I, look, do I feel like fucking phenomenal about taking Duke Moravia <laughs> at number 23? Not necessarily, but like, you know, in this draft, I think that's what you do. You you take the guys that you feel confident in. You were the first person legitimately that mentioned his name this year. I feel like this is you also overcompensate to be like, damn it, this is my guy. You're not jumping me. You put him at 35. I'm taking him at 27. Uh, for Jake, we're, we're gonna have to we're gonna have a bet on whether or not Jake Laravia goes in the first round. It's gonna be it, close. We're gonna do something. Uh, the, one, the one ticket to Laravia Island. Who is he in the NBA? I, I hate playing this game, but I have to. At, at six foot eight, is he like? I saw somebody throw it there. Is he like a George Niang type? Like who? Who comparatively yeah. would you say like you see him as being? Combo of Niang and like Max Struess in terms Max of Max like, Struess. Max Struess is has a flamethrower as a jumper. I think he can. I think Laravia. Max Struess is like playing Duncan Robinson like off the floor. Like that's. But he's not I mean, playing Duncan that, Robinson off the court because he's as good of a shooter as Duncan. He's playing Duncan off the court because he can defend and yeah, has and, real and physical strength. Back. I, like, I, I, I get it, but. Well, yeah, it's not that it's not that Struess is playing Duncan off the court. It's that Duncan is playing Duncan off the court because he can't defend. You get my point, though. Like the, the reputation yeah. is you have a flamethrower as a jumper and as good as a shooter Jake is. I don't know if we necessarily say he's like that tier of shooter. Yeah, I think that he can be. I mean, the only reason we don't say he's that tier of a shooter is because he doesn't take shots. All of the percentages say that he's mm. a great shooter. Yeah. Like there's not there's nothing in his 
profile from a efficiency standpoint that says he's not a great shooter. It's just purely the volume because he just doesn't take them for whatever reason. I think if a team can actualize him being willing to take shots, and by the way, you talk to anyone around Wake Forest, you talk to like anyone who's known Jake LaRavia, it's not a confidence issue. Like <laughs> that dude has confidence like seeping out of his pores. It's just that he didn't take the shots, you know, for whatever reason, you know, be it he wanted to play unselfishly because Alondis Williams was taking every shot uh, at Wake Forest. Like, you know, it's, there are a number of reasons, I'm sure, right? Uh, Like This this has been a game theory bingo with Jake LaRavia. We got a Max Drews reference. We're we're clicking. We're good. Wait until we get, we get Primo. We're going to get a Poku Uh, reference in here at some point. We're diving in. Let's go. We are back. Okay. Uh, What what, what pick am I? This is 24. All right, I'm going to be boring. Vanilla ice cream. I am going to go with EJ Liddell from Ohio State. Uh, Bounce back year after a a shaky combine last season. He scored. He rebounded. He passed. He's in much better shape. His feet are quicker. Uh, Can be a small ball five. Is he that player in spurts or someone who could stay on the court for longer stretches? Will he be hunted out there because of that lack of size at times? I said this at the last mock. He's safer than a lot of freshmen that we're kind of getting into now. Uh, that stretch big that shoots 40% from three and clearly will work to get better in, in the 20s. That's a good pick. Okay, let's let's do this right now. Uh, let's compare Jake LaRavia to EJ Liddell in terms <laughs> of the way one. that they I profile. Yeah. So Jake, I think, is about the same height, maybe like a half inch taller. He has longer arms than EJ Liddell. Mm-hmm. They're about the same weight. EJ has more vertical pop, which allows him to be a bit more of a rim protector. I think he's a bit stronger than Jake as well. From an offensive skill set perspective, they are not even close. Like, LaRavia is a much better shooter. He's a much better passer. He processes the game quicker. Like, I, I that's that, that was something I really genuinely considered as I was putting together my big board, is like, considering the way that EJ Liddell's game translates to the NBA versus Jake mm-hmm. LaRavia, And I came away thinking the way that those two translate, EJ Liddell had a better college season, but he is more capable of being a number one option on a college floor. Neither of these guys are going to be number one options on an NBA court. I think LaRavia's skill set translates much better to being an ancillary option on an NBA court, given that it's not like Liddell moves super well on the perimeter. Like it's no, not like we're but, talking about but, a guy but who's better. Like, and I wouldn't say Liddell is also like this bully ball, big 10 forward center who just like plowing through people. He did that at times. And I, I've said it like do, when they played play, play Minnesota, though? he went through uh, I, like the one year thing is tough. I mean, we, the, the numbers I always talk about is like Davion Mitchell had the one year and it, it wasn't like that type of shooter, but you have to believe that somewhat if it's 40% from three for a season that there, there's some jump shooting ability there. I'm just still taking them back that, uh, I didn't anticipate the the LaRavia push so hard. As you were like the waving the flag for the fan club, I just didn't think we were going to make such a leap. But I'm I'm here. I'm for doing it. it. Yeah, let's, you're doing let's it. Let's go. Like I really think that he is a just a the way that he translates to the NBA is better than the way EJ Liddell translates to the NBA. Um, you know, it's not a, not a shot at EJ. I think EJ is going to no, play I in the NBA. You, you right? Took him like, him. yeah. Yeah, it's just that, you know, and and by the way, like EJ's shooting numbers, you look at them over the course of the first half of the year versus the second half Mm -hmm. of the year, 
you know, like the three-point numbers Failed. really yeah. fell off. Mm-hmm. You look at his last 12 games, he shot 32% from three. So I, I don't know, man. Like I'm I'm not out on EJ Liddell, but I think that, you know, LaRavia, in my mind at least, has a better case. I love it. Okay. Uh, I am up at number 25. I'm going to go Kennedy Chandler. That's like just kind of an easy one for me, I guess. Um, did you have Kennedy as a first-round pick? Uh, I got to look here. Where's, where's my big board? I am 33, right outside. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's just like you take the guy that is good at basketball here mm-hmm. for me. Um, I understand he's undersized. You know, I've been the first proponent of saying that Kennedy Chandler's undersized, and that's why I don't love him as like a top 20 pick, right? But at 25, I feel a little bit more comfortable with it. Uh, he was the SEC tournament MVP. Uh, he was terrific over the course of the back half of the season, like really, really stepped up, really improved. I thought as a distributor, great speed, obviously. I don't think he has much craft as like Sharif Cooper off the bounce or anything, but uh, the thing that he does do that Sharif didn't do last year is he can shoot a little bit from three and he defends. He really, really defends at the point of attack. So do I think he's going to be like some difference making defender? No, but like looking at the way Jose Alvarado, for instance, yeah, has come in he helps. and yeah. been able to at least make an impact defensively. I think there's a case that like Kennedy Chandler can come in and use Alvarado as like a, you know, off the bench measuring stick, like, Hey, come in and, be the dude that you have to be defensively to get on the court. And I think Kennedy would be willing to do that early in his career. I love that Jose Alvarado has become John Turturro and Mr. Deeds. Like you underestimate my sneakiness. Like yes. Jose Alvarado <laughs> is like literally on the bench and like looking the wrong direction. It's like takes off a million miles per hour and like steals the ball. It's like it's a, it's like a weird hidden ball trick that I enjoy watching. Kennedy Chandler did get better. That he's better making pick and roll reads too late. That Michigan game, like he was roasting Hunter Dickinson, like every which way, no matter the yep. way he covered it. And we have bigger NBA centers that are guarding, defending ball screens. He can make that to his advantage. I'm always going to be hesitant on the size unless the jumper is super consistent. That's why I have him at 33. But he's moved up for me, too. He's moved up a few spots. Okay. You are up at number 26. 26. I'm going to go with Bryce McGowan from Nebraska. Okay. Let's do it. Uh, it, this I've said the same thing. I'm so times. mad at you, by the way. I, Why? Because now I okay, I only get to take one of my like two wild stabs in the dark. Because yeah, you well, didn't well, take... well, so do I. So we're we're in this together. Yeah. I thought I gave up on Bryce, and he improved later in the year. He hasn't really fully grown into the frame of six foot seven with long arms, but does have length. Does have some explosion on the catch. Can rip it off the rim and, and go full court end to end. He's slim, but he really controls his body, keeps his balance on those drives and euros, despite getting some some knocks here and there. Can drive either way, has different looks with it. He'll hesitate, he'll hit the gas, he'll finish opposite. He varies how he does that. Keeps the crossover low, despite being as big as he is. Again, this is time. This this is patience. This is hoping that a year from now he looks like a different player. Yeah, I get that. I think it's totally reasonable. Uh, I think he goes somewhere in the first round for sure. Somewhere like eighteen to thirty five. You know, something somewhere in that range. Some team like really might buy into his tools and ability to dribble. And like, here's the other thing: like that kid's tough. Like he does not shy away from contact at all. He drives to the rim. Yeah. He doesn't care if he's getting knocked down, and he gets knocked down because of how skinny he is. Like he's just going in. He's embracing contact, and that's like a big part of just playing in the NBA at that size is just being willing to do it. 
right? Like, don't be afraid. And I don't, I don't think he's afraid of anything when I watch him. No, I've got the same read. Okay. 27, I'm going Kendall Brown. Not that crazy. And what? Not that crazy. I'm 28th. thought we were going really double crazy. Yeah, no, like Ken, Kendall Brown at this point is a steal, I think. Uh, his athleticism and ability to pass and uh, potential to be a switchable defender, it's just worth investing in at number 28. I get that he might not be as good as what we thought he was early in the season. Uh, you really have to buy into the shooting and into the touch, but it's just really hard to find guys that are six foot eight and twitchy athletically like this uh, and actually want to defend. Like he defends at a really high level. Uh, and again, he is enormous. Like guys that are six foot eight are much better defenders at the NBA level than guys that are six foot five. Um, it, it's just a much easier translation. Translation. So yeah, Kendall Brown. Yeah. I I like him. I had him twenty eight. Fallen had, had the hot start. I, I thought he was going to be a passer. He he wasn't. I didn't like that he didn't play in crunch time of those those Baylor games. But you buy the youth, you buy the bounce. Most of the baskets come in the paint. Up and down system is going to thrive. Work on the three. Have speed it up a little bit. I see that. Yep. Okay. Number twenty eight. You're up. Yes, I'm at twenty eight, and I'm doing it. I feel better about it than I did a few months ago. I am taking Josh Minot. The dream becomes a reality with him being a first round pick to a contender that doesn't have to rush his development. Early on, he's going to be able to score with the slashing, with the cutting, making passes, affecting the game on both ends, and making those sort of like where did he come from plays. I, I know this is going to be the thumbnail to the uh, – to, to the uh, uh, you're, you're, now you're blurry. You're blocking me out. Uh, I've been tagged in some of the, the workout and jump shot videos. It does look better. I, I don't put too much stock into that. He's still hitchy with, with the release, but he's young. He, he should have played more at Memphis. He can get pro reps in the G League. Uh, draft him storm away we'll talk in two years okay yeah i i, I have no thoughts to add on mine on, you have in like the 40s it's, it's not like that insane it's not like you had him like 60 it's your yeah and i have him like in the like high 40s yeah. like he's a worthwhile investment okay i'm i'm deciding between two guys right now both of them like a little bit off the radar uh uh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to go Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara, not out of Arkansas. Jalen Williams, six foot six, seven foot wingspan ish. Uh, really, really has a terrific all around game that I think is going to translate to him murdering in workouts. Mm-hmm. And if, by the way, it shows on the tape. He averaged 19 points, I believe six rebounds and almost four assists per game. Or no, he averaged over four assists per game this year while shooting over 50% from the field, nearly 40% from three. Uh, it's just small school and it's Santa Clara and you have to be willing to buy into it. But you watch the tape. This dude has shake. Like he is six foot six. He has long arms. Like he is, has a low center of gravity. He's kind of a thick frame yeah. that allows him to manage contact like he just goes through contact while still having that weird like fluid hip uh situation where he's able to shake and get guys off the bounce uh i think he's just gonna skyrocket through this process i think that people have him at like 50 right now um i think is the more people watch him the more they're going to be like oh i get it that translates to the next level at a high level i do think he sneaky could become a first round pick i'm at 35 the name that seems to be when people go back and watch film, like uh, we missed on him too, 
he was a former Game Theory Prospect of the Week. No big deal. Yep. Uh, the clip of him shaking Chet and Chet falling over ha- has made the rounds too. I'm a little bit worried, like you said, about the frame, about the size. Like that does work more like in the NBA, but is that like quickness type of movement still going to be able to work when it, like he lowers his shoulder some, like he has the shake, but he does rely on physicality a little bit yeah. too. So, so what does that look like playing up? But I, I really liked him all year. So I, I wasn't totally blown away with this one. Okay. You're up. Number so, thirty, Penny. Am I thirty? Oh, I went second, right? Okay, um, I'll I'll take a, a begrudgingly a, a, another freshman who didn't live up to expectations, and I'm going to take Peyton Watson from UCLA. I'm betting on the former top ten player out of high school that was in a logjam for minutes on a returning Final Four roster. Extremely versatile from the forward spot, can set screens, can come off screens, can shoot from three, defends all over. He's an asset transition. Make this pick and just don't overthink it. Check back in a year and a half. If this is the NBA champion or, or someone like that getting the pick, he, he doesn't have, again, like the expectations of coming in and, and being the guy right away. He needs a year or two to anyone you talk to. That's what they echo. And uh, there's value in, in getting him this late in the draft. Okay, so Peyton Watson, is, he turns 20 on September 11th, 2002. Let's uh, make a well, quick born uh, 2002, right? Yeah. Born 2002 yeah. turns 20, um, turns 20 on September 11th. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next guy on my list, I will tell you was Dalen Terry and Dalen Terry turns 20 when I'm trying to pull up the birthdays we're talking right now, turns 20 July 12th. So they're, mm-hmm. you know, within, you know, a couple months of each other, basically the same age. Um, both of them, six foot seven, you know, seven footish wingspan, great tools. Why Peyton Watson over Dalen Terry? Why Peyton Watson or Dalen Terry? I the peak of Peyton Watson from high school, from the All Star circuit, is more of like the lengthy scoring wing off the bounce. I think Dalen Terry's mm-hmm. passing is better. I think Peyton's jumper is better. So it's a little bit like what you prefer out of a prospect. I mean, Dalen yeah. clearly showed it more. I mean, that that's not a debate. And uh, we we thought it was when Kirk Caruso got hurt and he stepped in right away. It was like, ooh, this is like the Malachi effect guy. And then he came back down, and part of it's like Benedict Matherin's really good and had thirty points in the tournament, so he didn't have yeah. that like total shine moment either. Yeah, no, I keep coming back to Dalen Terry. I have a first round grade on Dalen. Uh, a lot of it's not as good as Tyrese Halliburton in terms of the statistical profile, but it's a lot of similar aspects like incredible steal rate, great passer, very low turnovers. Like it's almost a three to one assist to turnover ratio um, for Terry at this point, 50% from the field, 36% from three unlimited attempts uh, rebounds the ball pretty well. Just, you know, played a limited role. I think if he goes back to Arizona, we're talking about a guy that goes 14th overall next year. Yeah. Dale Terry. Mm-hmm. Um, I would try and get him now at 25 or something like that. Like I have him in that range as opposed to um, other guys. But yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I would take Dalen over Peyton pretty comfortably because all defense in the Pac-12 versus Peyton, who's very clearly a work in progress on that end. Uh, much better passer, decision maker, playmaker than Peyton, and the shooting is a non-disaster. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say. Like I think that. I don't think Dale and Terry is going to be a non-shooter at the NBA level. 
No, I don't. I don't think that either. Like I, I do think they'll get there. He had a couple in the Pac-12 tournament where it looked okay, but the difference is, I, I'm just looking at my phone. Dale and Terry played 28 minutes a game. Payton Watts played 13. I, I guess like in spurts here and there, like played single digit minutes in the in the tournament, the Pac-12 tournament. So it, it's a little bit of a tough comparison too, because like Payton Watts is a good defender. Like he can defend the rim and and pull balls off the rim in transition. But if he doesn't get the the reps, it, it's harder to do that as well. Yeah, no, I I get it. Like I I think it's a I think it's going to be a real debate for NBA teams, like between those two, if Dale mm-hmm. and Terry stays in the draft. Okay, uh, that's thirty. We got through thirty in eighty minutes. Pretty good. Let's go. Pretty good. We did great. This is we. So 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 we did great. Let's let's now punch holes in what we did. The I don't want to say the misses, but the the names kind of left on the board here. I'm just going to rattle yeah. off like five. Jaden Hardy. Uh, Terquavion Smith moved up for me. He did. He he's close. Yeah. Uh, I had a first round grade on Terquavion. Christian Brown, Christian Coloco, uh, Nikola Jovic, and Wendell Moore. I have those a first kind of, rounder on Jovic as well. Those are kind of like my next level of guys. Yep, Terquavion, Hardy, and Jovic are the guys that I have first round grades on that did not get taken. Are there any so the the internet is a buzz and I know some NBA people are too. Are you a believer at all in Ryan Rollins' first round pick? Um you know, I think I was the first person to put him in round one, uh, like in the public sphere. I have him at twenty seven on my most recent published big board. Uh I went back, I'm a little bit more worried about the defense. I think I have him at like 35, 36, more like early second round range. Yeah, I have a 39. Same kind of yeah. same kind of space. Yeah, I really like Ryan. Like I, I'm I'm quite in on the skill set on the game. Uh you know, was he and Johnny Davis the only two teenagers in college basketball this year to average at least what is it, like 18 and a half 19, points a game? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So no, I'm in on Ryan Rollins. I have him ahead of Josh Minot. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just out here. Just out here taking little fucking stabs. That's it's my right. goal. Death by a thousand paper cuts. Okay, Penny, tell me what movies, what everything you've watched in the last week. So no movies, but I am on my TV kick, which I, I feel like is close. It's it's home yeah. cinema. Maybe not cinema. So yeah, Better Call sure. Saul is back and is fantastic. Uh, I, I also watched, I guess this is a movie. I, I started watching on Hulu Captive Audience. Have you watched that? I, I don't even know what that is. So it's about the Steven Stainer story. He was abducted at age seven. That went back to his family at age 14. Um, and his family is, there. there's more layers to it. There, there was a, um, a TV movie made about it called My Name is Steven. Or like I Know My Name is Steven. Like the 80s or 90s that came out. So three episodes, but it's weird because he passed away like later in, in life. So I have the actor that played him in the TV movie as a kid reading his old interviews at times. So I'm like, this is, this is really all over the place. Uh, but I watched it. I watched the first episode, but the good one, which uh, I hope you've watched is we own this city on HBO. Have you watched that? Yeah. I didn't watch the first episode yet. So it is about for, for people not in the know is about the Baltimore city gun trace task force. And, the Wire is my favorite drama, just ahead of The Sopranos ever. Right, I, I can't get it enough. They were very authentic in including some of these characters back into the show, but it's weird because it's just the actors. It's not like the characters from The Wire. 
So like Marlo Stanfield plays a detective. Like <laughs> Poot plays like a, a, a guy on the tax force. Uh, Landsman is still like a cop. So I have this weird brain where like the continuum of a show like keeps going. So I'm like, is Marlo Stanfield like, <laughs> clean up? And now he's like a detective and Poot's on the tax force. I, I don't know. But uh, the first episode is really, really good. One of those that ended and um, my wife said, play the next one i said yeah that's not how unfortunately this one works we can't rattle off eight in a row uh that was the first show in a while that that i said that so that was enjoyable that was kind of my roundup yeah i will watch um i will watch that this week yeah really good laura yeah um what have i watched have i did i mention that laura and i started watching the dropout who was the dropout again the amanda seafried show where Uh, she's playing no 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 no. Uh, the um that's the theranos one right yes Yes. yes. No, you, you did not. I watched the documentary. What was it on? I think it actually was on HBO yeah, before. But I haven't watched the, I haven't watched the series. Yeah, the series is awesome. Mm. Like uh, Amanda Seyfried is amazing. Amazing. Like the first performance in a while where I've been like, oh, that's like on the level with like Kate Winslet and Mary Town. Oh wow. Okay. Like I, I think she's. Like you like can't take your eyes off of her on screen because she's just doing she's making so many little choices that are so interesting right. <laughs> given this yeah. given this woman that like we have this general sense of, right? Yeah. Um as a public figure. Uh I saw the Northman. How was that? That's got mixed reviews. The internet sort of loves it, sort of hates it, and sort of doesn't know what to do with it. It's, I mean, technically, like in terms of like all of the crafts, the acting, the cinematography, the way it looks, the score, it's one of the most impressive things I will see this year. Like mm-hmm. undeniably, I, it left me just like kind of feeling whatever in terms of the story, but like you come away watching it and you're just like, that was impressive. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much I enjoyed it, but I know that Robert Eggers is fucking incredible as a director and like visionary who comes up with this shit more, more, inc- more like impressive than like enjoyable, I guess. Right. Uh, and then yesterday I saw everything everywhere all at once. Go on. I don't know if I'm familiar with everything everywhere all at once. Wait, really? Yeah, I don't think so. Well, it, once it's, you tell me what it is, I'm, I'm sure I've seen the preview of the trailer somewhere. So it's the movie with Michelle Yeoh and, um, Kihei Kwon, who played Short Round and Data, like Short Round from Temple of Doom and then The Goonies. Uh, I mean, I Data. love The Goonies. Yeah, of course I'm yeah. Data. Um, I don't want to say anything to you other than... No, I, I don't. I, I don't. Maybe I'm, I'm just, I'm too into draft mode here that I, I have not, I'm not familiar with, with this movie. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to say. I, I think you should go see it. Like <laughs> genuinely, like it's amazing. Um, it completely blew me away. The, I mean, the uh, first sentence is when an interdimensional rupture unravels reality. Oh boy. Yes. <laughs> there, but it's there. not. I'm not even gonna read the second it's, sentence. There's a lot there. Yeah, there's a lot there, and like there's a lot there, right? Like it's you, you got to pay attention to like really follow what's going on. It blew me away like completely blew me away it's one of the best movies i've seen in the last few years wow 
All right, that's a yeah. that's a very ringing endorsement. Uh, the script is incredible. Like the, I, I don't want to say anything in terms of what the story is because no, I, I, I think that you should go in as blind as possible, and I don't want to say anything for the listeners either. Um, the script is incredible. The editing is incredible. The performances are all amazing. It's it uh in terms of what it does like it, it it's funny it hits your emotions like it's um it's impeccably well crafted uh as a film and i would suggest everyone go see it it's like for me like the northman is like i would go see it but with reservations like i've told laura on the northman because she wants to go see it and i was just like i don't think you're gonna like this i think that I will just watch it at home again with you because right. like you should have the ability to turn this off when you want to, because it just <laughs> might be bad. Take your, um, take your bathroom breaks your snack breaks. Right. Uh, in the case of everything everywhere, all at once, I would just like unequivocally recommend it to everyone. It, I think it is wow. unbelievable as an accomplishment. Wow. That's uh... and it, it, it's an enormous swing. Given the like, think about the sentence that you just read. I know I didn't read the like, second one. I can read a, a few like of the next words, but that was uh, that was a lot. That was a mouthful. Yeah, uh, it is. An an unlikely hero swing. must channel her, her newfound powers. We'll we'll leave her at that. Yeah, <laughs> like ridiculous. It's a ridiculous movie, but it's amazing. Yeah. Um, okay. Oh, I also started watching Heartstopper last night, which is on Netflix. What's the Heartstopper? So Heartstopper is a show about a like teenager in England that was just outed for being gay and like him going through his uh like life as a teenager essentially. And oh. really really good. Really 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 Oh, awesome. you know what? Uh, yeah, my wife was watching that the other day when I walked in. That yeah. what what reminds me I um I I started watching Anatomy of a Scandal, which I think is on Netflix. Is it good? Ah. Uh, it, it's six episodes and uh episode four was like the twist and i was like all right yeah i get it um it, it was like very it was very courtroom dominated which is not my speed like let's, oh. let's have a story and like there's a lot of like the courtroom stuff which okay yeah i don't know it was a little bit heavy and then i was thinking of you because uh i also watched married at first sight australia last night and I, I like to imagine you in the background as an extra like walking by in queensland or, or wherever the heck they are they're all over the place yeah no uh, i uh i do not watch married at first sight australia i see the previews like regularly yeah it's uh, terrible it's terrible but i i can't look away <laughs> sometimes at oh, night we just don't want to like think too much before you you actually shut it down that that's a good like downshift into the evening yeah, our show for that is Selling Sunset. Oh, yeah. And yeah, the new season just came out and we're rationing it. Like we watched the first episode and like stopped because the last season that came out, we watched them all in like a day and a half. And we were like, oh, this stinks. <laughs> like, so here's, my question. here's my quick, my, my last final question to you for the day. Are you more of like, give me the eight episodes, we're going to plow through it or like, hey, here's here's Mayor of Easttown, like see you next Sunday, like one at a time. If it's a great show, I would prefer like the Mayor of Easttown strategy. Yeah, I think I'm like if, way. as much as I hate it uh, when the yeah. credits roll and you're like next week on Mayor of Easttown, but it's still like the build all week. And that was the yeah. beauty of, of the Sopranos for me growing up is like you just had to wait till the next Sunday. But even something like Peacemaker, which I really like and enjoy, right? 
I would prefer just to watch like four episodes of that at once, basically. And just be like, okay, let's, let's finish this. Um, it, it needs to be really, really good for me to be like, I am willing to wait for this. Um, but I would prefer it when it's really good. I think. Yeah. yeah it's a tough, one. um, it's a tough one. It's a really tough one. Okay. Penny, we got out of here in an hour 35 on a wow. mock draft where we made fun of a tweet for seven minutes at the jump. We talked movies for 10 minutes oh, at the end. God. Like, we're on LaRavia we Island figured, for about six minutes. Yeah, we're, we're we figuring out the figured science out. here. Not the algebra of it, but we're figuring out the science of it. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Call it. Cut. Cut it. Okay, Penny, tell them where they can find you. Uh, find me in my living room. Also, uh, on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny, and, and hopefully back here next week if Sam doesn't cut me. Oh my God. Uh, I have a 2021 NBA draft redraft up on the athletic that honestly, like, thank you guys for not making me dig a hole underneath my house and hiding (laughs) underneath it for the bombardment of takes. Like, look, people got frustrated. They want to defend their guy. I get it. But like, wasn't as bad as what I thought it was. So thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, Big board is coming Monday. We were thinking about doing it today, but we just figured because of the NFL draft and everything that, you know, it, it probably made more sense just to wait. Right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out as we talk right now, uh, you know, what, what are the Steelers going to do here? What, what's going to happen here? We're, we're coming up to pick number 20. We're, oh, wow. we're rolling. Yeah. This thing, this thing's happening. Are they going to take a uh, quarterback? Are they not going to take a quarterback? We'll see. I'm excited to find out. Okay. Penny, we're out of here. We're out. It's been good to catch up. Great to catch up. Please rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. I kind of forgot what I was saying for a second. Please go subscribe to the YouTube channel, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vecini on YouTube. Uh, I have been very impressed with how many people have been subscribing recently because we kind of went through a down period there just because uh, of me. Like I wasn't updating it nearly enough. Um, we are going to publish this podcast now that you have seen it already. We published this live on Friday morning. Uh, you can watch the shows on YouTube live now. That is the thing that you can do. It's great. Uh, please watch them live. Subscribe. Hit those buttons that you can to support the show. Uh, we will be back probably over the weekend to talk a little bit about the playoffs. Uh, Until next time, though, we will talk soon. Bye.